It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm both perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Mojak Lahoko. Now, Mojak is a comedian, he's an actor, and he's a musician. Although, I didn't know so much about the musician thing before we before we had this chat. Like, I've seen him post stuff on Instagram and that, but it turns out uh, Mojak's got uh, some deep history in the South African rap scene, and uh, we, we get into it on this podcast. We discuss that pretty early on, and in general, you're going to learn a lot about Mojak that you might not know. Maybe you know it, maybe you listen to his podcast. Oh yes, he's, another, he's a podcaster. <laughs> he's got a podcast called Tell Us More. It's a pretty good podcast. I enjoy it. He doesn't have that many episodes up just yet, but uh, the reason why this podcast you'll listen to now sounds really good is because we actually recorded it on Mojack's equipment at his house. So I really, really am now amped to try and get uh, some new microphones and uh, make this a bit better. But that's happening in May. Uh, In May, we're going to be improving the rig here uh, at the Almost Perfect podcast. So if you don't like the sound in some of these episodes, I'm sorry, but uh, at least you know that you only got to wait until May until it gets a bit better. And if you want to help contribute to that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. That is where you can subscribe to this podcast in more than just, you know, subscribing on iTunes or whatever. Uh, You can actually pay money uh, to listen to this. If you want, if you want, it's totally up to you. But yeah, go over to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. And occasionally I do giveaways over there. I give you the opportunity to suggest guests. I do put it out there that, hey, you want to ask these guests questions? Go ahead. Uh, although people haven't taken that opportunity too much lately. Uh, they still, they're still there though. So I appreciate all of you who have signed up to the Patreon account. And I appreciate all of you who are just listening to this podcast, that have subscribed to it, that have you know left comments, left reviews, done all the things to... Get it out there, because this is our year, baby! 2020. Uh, it's two weeks in, and I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job. Like, I've read like three books now, which is pretty cool. I've gone for runs. I haven't eaten meat yet. Uh, I think that's going to continue for quite a while. So, yeah, man. I'm, I'm, indig- I'm digging it. Not much work, though, but uh, we're working on that, too. I sent out a CV this week. So, big things uh, up in Bob's life in 2020. How you doing, though? Are you, you, you're hitting your goals? You're making things happen for yourself? Hope you are. Uh, and if you're not, well, get on it. You know, there's nothing to it but to do it. That's been my motto for a long time, and it's how I've managed to get a few things done in my life. I'd like to still do more, and uh, yeah, this year is going to bring plenty of that. I'm not going to talk for too long here today. I don't have much to say to you. This one's coming to you a bit late because my electricity has been out for like the last 16 hours. Uh, but it's back on now, so I was able to charge up. I'm going to quickly try and get this out there uh, before the electricity goes off again. So once again, thank you for listening to the Almost Perfect Podcast. If you enjoy it, go over to Facebook. You can like the Almost Perfect Podcast there. On Twitter, we are almost underscore podcast. And like I said, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Other than that, subscribe. If you li- Whatever you're listening to this on, hit the subscribe button. And if you're on iTunes, if you're on Apple Music, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review and uh, a comment there, just saying, or ratings and reviews. Uh, It does help us go up in the algorithms and all of that. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, share it. 
just hit that share button on your social media application of choice. That's it. That's uh, that's the intro today. I got nothing else to say to you. Here comes the almost perfect podcast with Mojack Lahoko. So how you living, Mojack? I'm good, man. Taking it easy. The year's almost over, and I'm just trying to trying to wind down and just try and enjoy these last few days of the year. That's my plan. That's it. That's all that's really happening. Yeah, it seems like it because I've just come to your house now. You, yeah. You're jamming some uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare here. Yes. Nice Friday, just chill day. I spend a lot of time here, bro. I don't. I, I almost don't leave the house enough. Okay. I try to. I try to make the the crib like as comfortable as possible. So I know there's a lot of machines here, but like I got the studio in the other room, which I like still make beats on sometimes. But yeah, the idea was that how can I be in a space that I don't have to leave or has all the shit that I like? That's kind of the idea and philosophy around you're, what you're, you're seeing. Yeah, I'm trying to develop that with my place at the moment. And I'm also mm. becoming way more of a homebody. Like yes. As I'm getting older, it's nice to venture out and do work and yes. like do that stuff. But then it's also nice to just go home and not see anyone for like three days and just like... Yeah, I love that shit. That's my favorite thing. I'm like, I'll just sit here. I'll read. Maybe I'll just watch shit on YouTube. I'll watch some Netflix shit. Um, I'll try write and make stuff and make sure that I'm in the mix. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't go out as much as I used to, which I'm fine about. I, I'm, I'm trying to start doing like shit that I haven't done before, like make that more of a priority. Okay, so what kind of shit haven't you done before? Because you've done a lot of shit. We'll get into what you yes. have done soon, but like yeah. I mean, you know, like weird shit, like just like maybe go hike somewhere okay but i think i like the idea of a lot of shit more than actually doing it yeah i like the idea of hikes way more than i like going on hikes but actually sometimes yeah sometimes it's cool but like a short one like, yeah like let's just go chill by a waterfall have some snacks yeah like, let's go walking for 10ks into the mountain <laughs> and camp there overnight and yeah. that sort of stuff it's like i don't walk anywhere which i mean it's, i mean it's joking but yeah, so that's, but, that's the weird thing about you you can't uh, yeah there's nowhere to kind of, i mean there is a park not too far from me but what am i going to do in a park you know, it's like a grown-ass man playing on monkey bars and shit. So that's why, that's why I play soccer like once or twice a week to get those those runs in, and also like it also gives me an opportunity to kind of like socialize. Yeah, and de-stress also. I'm quite hectic on the soccer field, so but it's the only place where I'm like that. Normally, I'm a bit more laid back. Yeah, you're a super laid back guy from my experiences with you and from my understanding of you. So that's quite interesting. Well, I thought I was laid back. I'm not sure anymore. I think <laughs> I think this year has been interesting. I think my laid backness is an attempt to like really suppress like the possibility of just like just raging. What are you raging against? No, I think I just I'm like sometimes I just get frustrated by stuff, and the the way to have it not spill over is to try and be calm and placid. And so over time, that's like a mechanism I've developed. But I also can like sometimes something will really annoy me, and I'll like get upset really quickly. But I, I've learned how to kind of deal with that over time. What sort of stuff gets to you? Because yeah, like from the outside, it looks like you're living a pretty good life. I'm well. I just don't like. You know what really upsets me is like when simple shit's not done properly. <laughs> like, I'll tell you, this is really dumb. Some people are like tuning out already, but <laughs> but I so I buy stuff on Amazon, right? Um, How with the with the import duties and shit these days? It's not that bad. It's like two hundred bucks on certain items. Okay, you're, you're buying different things to me. Yeah. I'm getting nailed on that <laughs> shit. Yeah, so basically, 
So they're all credit card purchases. So I'll check how much an item is. Then I'll check how much I've got on my credit card. And then I'll move money into my credit card to make sure that I have sufficient funds. Recently, I make a purchase. The next day, I get a text from my bank saying that my credit card's been canceled because I had insufficient whatever. So I call them like, what's going on? Then they give me a rigmarole about if you transfer money after 6 p.m., it takes an extra day, but the purchase is immediate. So I'm like, yo, bro, you the bank. How do you not know like how your own mechanisms work? So that kind of, <laughs> I know it sounds really silly. So we're talking like, first world problems, yeah. I mean, it's not first world. Well, yeah, but it's like you, you should know how these systems work by now. You're better than this. That's what like I'm frustrated by, that kind of shit. So it's nothing, no, no real issues at the at this point in your life. I mean, they're real for me. I mean, I got other shit that frustrates me, but I, I just that was just an example of like I, I some just, of the main shit, mundane shit that gets you a little. Yeah, I, 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 I'm frustrated by people who can't do, like perform basic tasks like capably. It's like you, know, you, you should be able to do this shit at this level. You know, because banks are not mom and pop stores. It's not three <laughs> people like fucking uh, doing mag tape transactions. Like in the lounge while someone's knitting jerseys as a side, you know, like I don't know, that feels like a good back to back. What a mom and pop show! It might be stolen, like might have less stuff stolen from you. Like Julius Malema probably had like a mom and pop shop going <laughs> with his bank. Well, I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, mom and pop. That's like how how would you earn interest on in that shit? It's like it's just a Ponzi scheme, basically. <laughs> what you're talking about is Herbalife. <laughs> yeah, Herbalife for bags. Yeah, network marketing and all that shit. Uh, so yeah. so what have you been up to this year because like i genuinely don't know like you do so many things like you're like you're on tv you've got your podcast you've sure. been making music make, making music was the thing you kind of started this year or last year or like no no i well i'll start with music I, I i used to rap in high school when i was about like 16 okay it used to be like cyphers and all that kind of stuff like that was the era where you had to like really freestyle where somebody would give you a topic and yeah, then you and had to, to you had to stuff. spit yeah and that was like our thing um and it was fun, you know, but I think I got to a point where I was frustrated because I couldn't make songs. Like, you could battle rap, but I wanted to put out actual music. So when I was about 16 or 17, I asked my dad to buy me um, a Casio. It's called, it was a, called like a CTK 600. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and it had like basic programming features, but it wasn't still quite what I needed. So then I've, I, I, a friend of mine got me like a bootleg version of Fruity Loops. So I started on Fruity Loops. I had to save money to get a MIDI controller because it was like, you know, MIDI to USB. But I started making beats kind of when I was 16. That happened for a couple of years. When we were in varsity, a good friend of mine, Wade Rose, and I, I had this big idea, this grand idea of having like, of being like the next Neptunes, basically. Okay. And, and like, like Kanye's line, make five beats a day for three summers, I deserve to do these numbers, was really big. Like we would spend like fucking hours and hours in his lounge like with a pile of cigarettes in an ashtray because we were like <laughs> searching for a sample or for the right, like kick drum or snare, hi-hats, like flipping samples, reversing them, chucking reverbs on them, then pulling samples. Like So anyway, I did that. And then, and then in university, we used to go to um, an, uh, uh, Lance Stir of Ghetto Rough. They used, oh, to have, they used to have an office... Uh, next to ASC, the Academy of Sound Engineering, um, next to SABC. So we had, I don't know how we had met like Bongs and Deleuze and all of them and Crazy Lou at the time, rest in peace. And uh, so we would go there to try to sell them beats. And they really liked the beats. The problem is that like 
they had an in-house producer and bongs is classically trained he's like fucking good he can score stuff yeah. and like that's what he does now isn't it yeah well i'm not sure i haven't seen him in eons but the point was that like people weren't why would you buy beats from some upstarts when you got an in-house producer who can make every genre like bongs was literally everything out of get rough i think at some stage was kind of going through him malik was there at the time teba so the beats I, I pushed back for a while. Um, like you're just dropping names. <laughs> no, no, it's like because I, I. No, but it's interesting because yeah. I didn't know this about yeah. you. Because like when you started putting your music on um, Instagram, Instagram and, stories, and stuff like yeah. that, yeah, I was like, damn, this guy's pretty good. And I thought it was something like you had just started doing like as a side thing from like comedy. I didn't realize you actually started out in music. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the weird thing is that because I, I'm using different um, digital doors, digital audio workstations. The workflow is different. Like, so I started on Fruity Loops, then I went to Reason. By the time, like, I, I, had, I knew Reason backwards, like, at some point. Like, there's, if you hit tab on Reason, everything turns and you see the back of all the consoles. So the, like, and you can rewire them manually to, like, imagine an old rock and roll studio yeah. where they had all of those racks. You can do that in the software. Like, we could do crazy shit in Reason. Stop that, move to Logic, try this native shit, and, like, they're just eating my money because... The money's not in the hardware, it's in the plugins. Yeah. So like every two weeks they're like, hey, we got these new uh, violins. It's like, I don't really need violins. But uh, Go back to Fruity Loops, man. I can't. Fruity Loops was cool, but it, it was tinny at the time, but I know it's a lot better now. Like oh, yeah, it's, way, it's, way, it's, way. Yeah, it's professional now. And I work on Mac. That's another reason why I don't use Fruity Loops. Oh, what was the, the question is, what have I been up to this year? <laughs> Making beats, one, we've covered that. Um, I guess stand-up, a uh, bit of TV stuff. It's, it's been a weird kind of transition here where... It, it almost feels a little bit like I'm in between two phases of my career, if that makes any sense. Sure, because, yeah, that's kind of how it looks to me almost. Like, yeah. like I don't know if you've been busy this year in comparison to other years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been relatively busy, but, like, quiet about it. Okay, sure, you're not, like, telling everyone your business. Yeah, like, I just, um, we did this commercial recently, and one of the co-stars were, like, she tweeted about it, and then she put out photos, and, like, I was supposed to send her the, the pics I took on my, like, camera, like, two months ago, but I, I just wasn't bothered. So, <laughs> like, I've, I'm doing stuff, but I'm, I think I'm not posting as much about it. I'm, I'm, but it's I, also because this life's now your life, like, the TV thing, the comedy thing, the, you know, being a person in entertainment, it's no longer, like, new to you, it's, like, your job sure i mean but you know i'm but you've just highlighted something that's interesting like that can become a dangerous thing also where where like you're not happy about the stuff you're doing because okay. it's it's just part of your daily program so sometimes we take um what's the word i'm looking for like we we don't fully acknowledge the stuff we're working on because we kind of, we're constantly focusing on the next project or next idea 100 percent, which is good as an artist because you want to like progress and be better but then we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity of being like yo i did some dope stuff this year like i had to remind people this year like that they they won ovation awards in grahamstown <laughs> like i had to tell and that wasn't long ago that was like a couple months back yeah i'm like you won an, an award at the biggest arts festival in the country and and i know like we like we don't live in the past but it, sometimes you might just give yourself credit you know once in a while yeah, I've got this thing of like, I won't ever pin like uh, tweets that get like gang numbers because yes. it's like, I always feel like my best work's ahead of me. Yeah. And like, I don't want to like 
rest on like you know like that one good tweet that i had once yes like and i feel in general that's what all comedians that like i meet well not all but a lot of them you know i yes. like that it's like yeah i did this thing but like i'm working on this <laughs> thing like yeah. it's like i want to get ahead i want to we never feel like the stuff we've done is as good as like the stuff we're going to do almost. sure which is which is true of some people and wrong of others. <laughs> some motherfuckers peaked. No, um, no, I'm just <laughs> I'm talking shit. But I think I you think, didn't mention names, so you can say that. No, no, no. I'm not. You know, I'm also trying to reset my energy this this in these next few months. But I'll, I'll talk to that idea of like we are we are focusing on the future. The, the key is kind of not to be content with what you've worked on or have created in the past. And that's a good thing in terms of your work. It's the dangers in like like just being hard on yourself, and again yeah. not acknowledging like the stuff you've you've done and having some perspective. Like going, where was I six months ago? Where was I a year ago? I had this chat with um, Kate Pigeon like recently because I was like, she was, we were just chatting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just saying a lot of people rob themselves of the opportunity to to acknowledge the cool shit that they've done because they're looking towards the future, which is important. But once in a while, like celebrate yourself because these motherfuckers aren't gonna do it for you. Like award shows come once a year, like and, and even your fans. And the awards are bullshit anyway. You know, well that's you know they they go, have. Go listen to the the uh, live from the Winston if you want to hear my. I feel like wasn't I there? Was I there that day? Or was that a different podcast? Yeah, well, I don't know. If, were you there for the one where we we're just talking about the Comics Choice Awards? I know there was one with uh, Carvin. Carvin was me, you, Carvin, Neil. Yeah, I can't remember which one you were on, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Um. Yeah, like, you know, even all of the people out here who've got fans, like, or maybe only a small percentage will openly tell you, like, they love your work or how yeah. well you're doing. And so if you're looking for that validation from the world, it's going to fuck with you because it doesn't come with that frequency, particularly when you're not super famous. So sometimes um, look look after yourself. Have you found yourself looking for that validation from the world? Like, is that something when you started out that you wanted? Um, You know, like... Stand-up in the beginning was a bit strange for me because uh, in 09, when I was kind of starting, um, there was a show called So You Think You're Funny. Yeah. Uh, that was on TV, yeah. Yeah, that was on TV. David Gow's... That was a bit brutal. Uh, yeah, it was interesting, you know. But it has got some great alumni. But the point is that at the time, Paul Pops was a contestant on the show. He came second that season. But I've known him, Paul Pops, It'll be 25 years now. Him and I were in class together in the second grade. You're older than 25? I am, man. It's, uh, it's all this cocoa, but no, I'm aging terribly. No, but, but, um, but so, so I see him pop ups on this show. And him and I kind of link up in 2010, you know. And basically, I start going on the road with him, Chris Mabane, a bunch of other comedians along the way. And what happened to me is that I was in close proximity to comedians who were doing really well. And was maybe at the time frustrated that I wasn't getting the same opportunities. That sounds relatable. Yeah, but but what I wasn't ex acknowledging was that those people had done the work to get those opportunities. I was just in. That the sounds relatable. <laughs> well, whatever, however you view it. But like I was there. I think I was a decent act, but I hadn't done the stuff that they had done. But luckily, early in my career, um, uh, after working with like with with like Kagi and and Gola and a, a bunch of guys, a, a gentleman by the name of. Te Takunda Bima, who ran a company called Podium. He's not the guy doing Joburg Comedy Festival. That is, same cat, okay. yeah. So Takunda at the time managed, um, at, at one stage it was Trevor Noah, Eugene Koza, Kahiso Ledeja, David Kibuka, and Lois Okola. Podium, Podium with That's a, kind of like the, you know, the Mount Rushmore. Of like, course, yeah, yeah which probably. like, 
I mean, a lot of lot of people don't talk about often enough, but that was his roster, and then and then Tolasmo and Robbie, like Damn, as, so yeah. he had, he had a good life of talent. Then. Yeah, he had a hot fire roster. Anyway, TK one day sat me down. Um, so two people told me very important things. TK said. Your journey might take a little bit longer. You remind me more of like Kibuka than the other guys. So just be a little bit patient. Um, when it clicks, it will click. It'll work out. But just know that it will take you a little bit longer to kind of get to where you're going to get. A friend of mine, Sivene Loluana, said the same thing to me when I started. He said, it may take you 10 years to reach any kind of like real success. And so I've tried to be patient with my process. I've been frustrated a lot. This year was a tough year for me in terms of not like where I think I should be, but I think the state of... If, if we had to do a state of the nation of stand-up comedy and we all stood around in parliament, this this would be the year where I'd fly kick a bunch of people. I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Like yeah. the conversation I've been having up here, it seems like comedy is in a very weird space. Like, I mean, a lot of places have shut down in terms of like gigs and that. And yeah. like there's a lot of new kids on the scene who don't seem to have much respect. Like this is just what other people have said to me on that. So mm -hmm. like, and how's, how is, but like, how is that affecting you? Well, it's tricky, you know, because like new comics are a byproduct of the system. And they're necessary. Yeah, they're necessary. I, I, yeah, I never dispute that or, or ever. Like, th there should be a new group of talent, first and foremost. Secondly, the, the generation that comes after us should not have to go through as much shit as us. Sure. I think one of the things I've noticed, the thing I'm willing to take responsibility in the game right now is to go, look, we created this room. Lois Okola created this room, Kitcheners. It was a new material night. In 2012, he handed it over to us. One, I didn't know he created that. Yeah, that was his. That was him. Um, that was his room. He gave, he gave it to myself, Robbie, Lazola, and Aref, or maybe to Laz, and then he kind of brought us in. I, I forget how it went down, but anyway, um, I think what we tried to create was an accessible space where new acts could come and play. It was. It's not a. It's not a open mic night. It's a new material night, yeah. but that also allows new acts to come on. And I think, I think we didn't rule with an iron fist. You didn't. Yeah. We didn't rule with an iron fist. We didn't curate. We went hard on people for not keeping time, for not being punctual. And and and, and, and maybe that like I'll speak for myself. There's been times where like I haven't been there on time, so like it's hard to blame people for not being punctual with you when yourself. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not saying it was that like that all the time, but I think those in retrospect, those may have been some of the things that crept into the industry, not just our room, I think. In general, in like general, because I ran, well, I ran underground comedy in Durban based off of Kitchener's. Basically, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I came up here, I like I'd stopped comedy for like two years, I think. Sure. And then I did this thing at UJ uh, for the creative conference thing. I was sure. part of it. Simi was hosting that, yeah. and he was like, "Yo, come to Kitchener's." Yes. And then I did five, and it was killer, and I loved it. And then after that, I was like, "I need to take this back to Durban." Yeah. <laughs> and then I tried, but like. I faced the same thing of like lack of curation. Like I sure. was, I was trying to just give everyone a chance. Yes. And so audiences, you know, suffer <laughs> when you do that essentially. And also like comedians didn't necessarily respect the room or respect me or respect, have respect sure. for what was going on. And I mean, that's why I eventually shut it down. Yeah. But like, is that similar situation that's happened with Kitchener's? Well, I mean, you know, the other thing I to also like, again, just to be clear, like Kitchener's is also a fire room. Yeah. It's banging. Like, you know, like, 
Nobody must get it twisted. That it's r- my favorite room in yeah. the country. Jeff Ross played uh, fucking Kitcheners. Will Sylvins played here when they came for the Comedy Central International Festival. Brakao's there. Lloyd Goyla plays there. A lot of acts have written their shows of Bob playing that there. room. Yeah, you play that room like, you know, 40 weeks of the year. You do, excuse me, two to three minutes a week. You've got a new one, man. Like, with a, with a, a cool audience, I think... We had great successes along the way. Where I mean, it's still a banging room. It's still rad, man. It's still cool. I mean, but there were times where we had like we had we had like waves at Kitchener's, like the mad rowdy audience. Yeah, then those we, are my favorite. Well, I we weren't big fans of them because we we didn't want to have to play principal while doing stand up. So we were like we're, we were trying to discipline people and entertain them at the same time, which is really weird. It's like the mom who beats you and then says, "I love you. I'm doing this for you." Kind of, sh- you know what I mean? Okay. Like, so, but but then we then we got to a point where the audiences were self-regulating. They were telling each other to keep quiet. Like we no longer had to do that, which for me is a great moment to yeah. go like, "Oh, you get what this thing is." You created like, the culture now. Exactly. So th- so there were some positive cultures that came out of it. But look, for the most part, quite frankly, I had a good time there, man. It's been seven years or so, seven good years, and. We'll see what happens, but it's been fun, and I think I think. What is it in danger of? It's not in danger. I just think that the South African landscape is like in a bit of a, a transition phase. We're going through growing pains, like, and I think every generation has like a bubble, you know, like shit. There was a lot of there was a lot of money in this shit like a few years ago, and this last year, yeah, and there still is for the right people. Um, yeah, and that's the tricky thing about stand up is becoming like, the right person. Yeah, that's the hard thing, man. Which is. It's hard, and I don't think it's just stand-up. I think anything in life is... A lot of your opportunities are about access. Yeah. Like who you know, who's on your team. Who likes you. Yeah, and I think I think the weird thing about stand-up is a lot of people are talking to the wrong people, right? So, <laughs> and, this, and what I mean by that is like... Stand-ups are trying to convince other stand-ups to give them opportunities. It's like, yeah. no, these, you know, these motherfuckers don't cut no checks. We're yeah. all doing your deals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, speaking to the wrong guy. And I think that's what I kind of realized this year was like, I'm try- I messaged Tats the other day. We did a gig on Tuesday, and it was a group of comedians sitting down, and we had a great time. It was fun. But at a table next to us was him and his like, dance family. He's dance, like the people he dances with. Tats dances. He does, man. He okay. does. He does. He'll do like his kuzomba things, and he'll they'll have socials. And but w- when I looked at it, I was, and then and then and then the next day, I was having my year in with the guys I play soccer with. I was like, a lot of us don't have families outside of this, so that's why sometimes it becomes our whole world. Oh, we're literally just talking about this with Kate and Ryan. Yeah, I, and and I, I feel like I feel it's tricky because I feel like I spoke to them recently, so I've been I've been like fucking doing this. Be some crossovers. Yeah, it's Inception. I've I've planted a few seeds, so and I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. It's like that happens though in comedy. Like you find yeah. like conversations like happen like that you know someone like they become like a regular point of conversation for like that month of everyone's talking about similar topics and similar things while going through like because one person will say this another person will say that and then it becomes the theory yeah which is the other danger of like being within your own environment is becomes insular yeah my dad has this idea of like it's called intellectual incest Yes, 100%. You yeah. don't get exposed to new ideas. You yeah. don't. And so you always think you're right. You always think the people... Because it's the same thing that's happened now. Like, literally, so today that we're doing this, I'm not sure when this will come out. Sure. But Boris Johnson just got voted in. Mm-hmm. And people on my timeline are shocked. Yeah, which is fucking silly. You're, you're mad dumb if you think Boris Johnson 
Like if that that him being elected is is a surprise. Yeah, because we're all liberal and we're all in our little like you know bubble, and so that then becomes the narrative to you. And so when anything sure. goes outside of that narrative, you're like, how the fuck did this happen? I think it was the same thing with Trump. And like, yeah, yeah. So when you do have these small frames of reference, when you do have these small communities, you do become quite insular. And yeah. But you're finding this year you've expanded beyond your comedy friends? Not as much as I would like to. I'm slowly like, I've had a bad year of just like not, not like wishing people happy birthday and like doing like. Oh, I stopped doing that years like ago. Like friend shit, you know what I mean? So I think I'm, oh, in, a, I'm, I'm in a lot of people's dog boxes this year, I'm, you know, and I'm, I need to text them all and be like, sorry, I fucked up. I'll see you soon. But I, I think there's value in, in having multiple families. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say is like, you can have your music family, your comedy family, your fucking skateboard family. And they all have different ideas, different beliefs, and have like different desires for each other. And it's good to have like some kind of sense of reality because you know, like you know, like we're sharing ideas with people who work fifteen minutes a week. I mean, or like a night. Like fuck (laughs) off, man. Like you're not. Like this shit is not reality. Yeah. This shit is mad twisted. Like I get it. We like these artists and whatever, but it's like. Fucking talk to a real person. And it's hard for us because, like, you know, comics are, we don't want to meet strangers and shit. And it's also, it's like, so this is, this is a thing when people get really good at comedy or mm. really successful, they become rich, they become famous, and sure. their friends are richer, famous people. Yeah. And so their material starts becoming more and more unrelatable. Yes. Like, as people get, like, like I found, like, Dave Chappelle's new special to mm. be unrelatable to me, and, like, I sure. didn't necessarily enjoy it. So I thought Bird Revelation was fantastic, and the yes. stuff he was talking about there was, like, stuff that I could relate to. Mm. But then when he's talking about his rich friends and like stuff like that, I'm like, ah, yeah. I'm not really on your side. And then like that happens. I think Chris Rock's kind of suffering from that a little sure. bit at the moment. And is that like something that you, you've worried about at all? Like that's, you know, your frame of reference, if you become too insular, it means your material's going to suffer almost. Not really. I've always been unrelatable. So that's a, <laughs> that's, that's an easy obstacle. What to- do you mean you've always been unrelatable? So do you just make yourself relatable on stage? Because I watch you do comedy and you seem like the most down-to-earth, relatable you're like because you've done a lot of hosting and like, yes. so you're very personable on stage like, sure. you, like you come across as someone you come across as someone's buddy almost yeah I mean you know I'm, so there's two things there right like first of all I think for me I've always consumed stuff that I, that people consumed at a different time or that's just like not in their frame of reference like 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 I love reading this there's a few books here mm-hmm. and so like my first Oh wow, you got Amy Poehler's book up there. Yeah, it's really good. She's got a great she's got to be like before she's got a great phrase in that book where she says, Know your currency. She says she was a good looking blonde woman and um she knew that people would have treated her differently because of that, but she decided to be funny. So like that you see like that's the great shit I like about reading because you get that insight. Yeah. So and I know like I'm personable on stage, but off it I can be like a bit the word's not cold, but I'm I'm not on. Sure. But I'm like, yo, man, I'm when I'm on stage, that's when I'll show up. When the cameras roll, that's when I'll show up. When I say, when I say like, um, unrelatable, like I, I just consume stuff at different times to people. So like, I'm reading Noam Chomsky now. And for me, like, they'll be funny in that. What are you reading? Um, should, what's it called? I forget the Chomsky book because I just finished The Land is Ours, which is, I know it took me long, whatever. But whatever. Chomsky book and there's, there's a couple of other things like Born Anxious. 
Um, I read them in high school, like which was like so above my head. Like I read so yeah. much stuff in high school that was above my level because of like Rage Against the Machine. Oh yeah, <laughs> Zach De La Roca and those guys. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so basically I just consume stuff at different points to other people. And so I, when I started doing stand up, I'd like read the Mail and Guardian. I thought that was comedy. Like you read Mail and Guardian, and, and then, then you, you come up with jokes. Yeah, but, but no one else was reading Mail exactly. and Guardian. Exactly. You're right. So I'm like, yo, man, what? A, what about the energy crisis? Am I right? It's like, yo, you're at the underground on a Sunday. Shut the fuck up, dog. Tell us about like, you know what I mean? Tell us about I smoking weed. But, well, but then at the same time, you learn to make that relatable to audiences, Well, right? that's the point. That's what I learned over time was to go, okay, here's this idea that I have. It doesn't exist in your world. How can I, like, what do I have to do to make you understand what I'm saying? So that's been my kind of my journey over all these years is to go, Here's this ridiculous idea. I'm gonna explain it to you in a very simple term, and and then like, I think I decided that my stand up because people are always like, "What's your stand up like?" And uh, it's so a hard question to answer here. I do know now. Okay. Yeah, I I sell sophisticated ignorance. <laughs> cool. That's some copyrights like right there. Yeah. Well, it's like it's from a yay line. It's like sophisticated ignorance, right? My curses in cursive, right? So the so the idea for me is like trying to take sometimes more complex ideas and then using like really fucking simple or like mad dumb language for you to like relate to it. I'm feeling like I'm in a similar position. Like with my show, The End of the World, that I've like done, I've, you know, done tons of research. I've like done mad science, like, you know, reading and that to try and figure out a lot of stuff. And like the challenge there is how do I like, so there's this thing called the paperclip maximizer. I don't know if yeah. you've ever heard about no, it. It's no. about a general artificial intelligence sure. that we create. That its only purpose is to create paperclips, but it needs to create the best paperclips and in the most efficient way. Yeah. And essentially, by doing that, it develops ways that destroys the earth. You know, like it turns, like it takes all the earth's resources. Yeah. Because like, its only thing is to do that one thing. Yes. And so to try and explain that in a joke, like I turned it into uh, the dildo maximizer. And then of like, cool, 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 like cool, 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 cool. yeah, make it like <laughs> so that's the thing. Like I find that to be also be a challenge, but I also find that to be the fun thing, like about comedy is that for so long and early on in my career, people kept on being like, you know, the circle of reference stuff. Like yeah. try and say to talk about stuff that people know. And yeah. like I felt like that was so unsatisfying for me. It was just sure. telling jokes that people could immediately relate to. Like a part of me bringing people into these interesting ideas that yeah. like they've never even come across before and explaining to them in a way that makes them laugh and that they can go home and like think about it. Sure. It's always been like something I value immensely. And like, it seems like that's something like you. Well, personally. well, I mean, you know, like stand up's not so loaded for me. Like, you know, like people used to be like, you gotta have a message. It's like, oh man, these are, yo, you're hiding your message behind 13 dick jokes. Like, <laughs> It's have some fucking context out here, like you know, like your first job is to make people laugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so yeah, and actually that's what it is, and and so I've, I've I feel less like, what's the word? I'm more precious about the act of stand up. Like I just write things that I think are funny, like um, or just simple ideas. Like I think when I, you know, when you're, when you're doing a one man show though, like how does that? Correlate, because I mean, I think we all do that. Like we just yeah. have our jokes that we come up with, and then also sometimes have stuff that we're willing to like write about. Sure. But so, like in general sets, you know, that's always a lot of the stuff that you're just coming up with throughout the week. Yeah. But then when it comes to one man show, how do you develop those? When the one man's are different, so every eighteen to twenty four months, for the last what maybe 
six years. So that's only three or four shows deep. But I will do a one man. That was that was the initial thing with my first one. How did I get you? Then after that, my subsequent shows were based on um, either working in a new format or or trying to uh, improve a skill that I thought I lacked. Okay. So my first uh, show outside of stand-up, How Did I Get You, was a show called Rewriting History. I've always been fascinated with history, but I wanted to present the show in a way that felt different for me and challenged how I did stand-up. And it was hard because people don't... Like, a show about history is hectic because a lot of people don't know, like, the the, the minutiae, like, the the really great details. And so that, that becomes even harder to make funny. But I was like, cool, let's... Test yourself, bro. Let's go. Yeah. How can you make World War One funny when you know the realities of that? You know what I mean? So that's tricky. It's like, you know, like jokes like... Um, so that's why I live in like this absurd world of like, hey, Shagazulu was a great leader and he also had time to build an airport. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm massaging motherfuckers into like... I like that. You know what I mean? Like into 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 the world of history. So that, that show I did, I, the, the preview I did at Pop Art was like really trash. Um because I was all over the place. Like, I had cue cards, a podium. I just didn't know what was going on. But the preview was great because it showed me that I had holes in my show. Anyway, fast forward. Yeah. I do the show in Grahamstown. I've got an easel. It's very interactive. When I get to religion, I say to people, what are the commandments? If they go, thou shalt not check, that's what we write down. That's the truth. Like, that's what, like we go, that's the... We don't correct anyone in the show. We And so, so I developed that skill over, like, eight days. Um, I just recently did a show called The First Time, which is a show... A storytelling show because I don't think I'm particularly good at stories. I know how to write short bits and then crowbar them together to create narrative. Sure. And I've also been like really good at doing that with other acts. That's kind of what I'm wanting to do going forward. What, producing, directing. I mean, I've been, I think I've soft directed a few people's shows in the last few years, but now to like you know put my fucking name on it. Um, uh, but yeah, so so uh, the first time is a collection of stories about first time experiences. So, so it's, it was something difficult for me because I'm not a story guy, but it had to have a hook too to make it different. So I'm constantly just trying to put myself in in spaces where, like we like, put yourself in a hole is kind of my philosophy every twelve months to eighteen months. Like, like if you don't write this show, if you don't start fucking working on this, you're gonna crash and burn. That's kind of my philosophy. Um, Unfortunately, the shows don't aren't seen by as many people as I would like. But <laughs> I feel like every celebrity comedian has that issue. Yeah, I mean, but that one, I think that's my fault. I, I think I've picked really shit venues over the last... Not shit venues. I've picked inaccessible venues. Like, I think what we're not acknowledging is like we live in a in like a moral culture and society. So people want somewhere with a food court <laughs> and a, and parking, like right. And yeah. so we just make it hard for our consumers sometimes by trying to pick like. These what we think are really niche, cool places, but they're like, it's like just some people just think it's dangerous, man. Yeah, I mean that's been the biggest issue, like with the venues I pick in Durban. Yeah, people are always like, you know, is there parking? Is it going to yeah. be a car guard? Like I've literally had with the Winston people drive there, park, mm. not get out the car, yes. and then drive away. I, that <laughs> happened with that. So we were working on there's this there's this new comedian. Uh, South African guy who works on the Daily Show, but um, new comedian. No, I'm fucking around, Trevor. <laughs> so one uh, time, because <laughs> I was gonna say like I know another guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just talking about mad spicy. Anyway, Trevor was back here in the lead up to his Dome show, 
and he was trying he was looking for places to work on the bits so we were so he had a couple of gigs lined up private ones and then we they were, were trying to organize like um public gigs where we where like kind of get people to turn off their phones and shit and like let them play and, and we were doing whatever work we were doing and um and I think the one day he pulled up to Kitchens and he was just like, not a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in his defense, he's right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Robbie got stabbed outside Kitchener, so... Yeah, so exactly. Enough. Yeah, like, what? What's, why? <laughs> Even though sometimes I get to Kitchener's, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I have no business here. I'm grown now. I'm, like, trying to my tax returns again like i shouldn't be here man <laughs> like but there's no place it's still the dojo like it's still the place yeah i mean the, it's one of those places where like inside you now nah, even inside you're still unsafe but <laughs> like <laughs> you're you're kind of safe in 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 that corner that in, in that block that is the comedy yeah. that's what we can control uh, like outside of that it's a big thing we've tried to kind of address but anyway i don't want to focus too much on that yeah but the point is that so I do these shows every 18 months. Uh, I throw myself in a creative hole and I go, how are you going to get out of this, bro? Start writing. And I always leave it too late, but I also realize like... I, That's your process. Yeah, and I can kind of write a show in four weeks, to be honest. Like, it won't be the best version of it, but I can write a show in... But that was me this year for the end of the world. I was just like, I'm going to... I picked a topic. Like I had a date because it was like the festival yeah. and I was like, well, now I've got to do it. Sure. And then half the stuff I did for that show, I had never tested. Like yeah. I just went on stage and did it and most of it worked. I was very, very happy about that. And like the same thing where it was like, I'm just going to put myself in this hole, in this challenge because my first one, man, was just material that I had. Yes, yeah. And like, I like, I love doing that as well, but it's so scary, man. Like what the uh, one the, man? No, they're putting yourself in holes that you have to dig yourself out of. Like, but at the same time, you you kind of know you've got it. Well, f for me personally, like sure. But at the same time, like, don't you have those fears, like that you are gonna fail at this thing? Yeah, I mean, but that's what pushes me. It's like comfort is a weird thing, man. It's really tricky. We spoke about earlier about money and being rich and being famous. You have to like. I kind of live my whole life not really fitting into any group per se. Sure. So, so my life is inherently one of discomfort and uh, attempting to assimilate or, or 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 figure out a group of people or a place. That's so that's been like from from like six years old, you know. So the thing is that that's almost my norm. And it's like, I don't know, I said to someone years so ago. Are you comfortable like, with discomfort? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. I think I am comfortable not knowing, not being sure, being uncertain. I'm fine with failing. Like, I, in high school, I played, I remember going to like play squash. And the first fucking day, they put me against like the under 16 Gauteng champion. <laughs> and, um, and for me, my rule has always been like, I'm not competing with anybody. I'm just trying to be a better version of myself. So I Amen. said, I'm going to give a good account of myself here. The guy gave me a, a hiding, but he was also like, yo, you, you put in an effort here. So, so there's like, there is value in taking a loss. Definitely. Like, but, but, but it's, it's brutal when you do it on stage. <laughs> that's fine. But it's like, it's, it's the way in which people lose. Like there's, you know, the, 
there's there's a, a graciousness in def, in 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 like losing when you've put in an effort. I don't mind like lose like, and I'm I'm gonna keep using sports as a reference. I you I somehow, well yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of all of them. Um, esports, no. Um, but I remember. Well, no, yes, you are into esports as well to a degree. You've been at Comic Con and stuff, but we'll chat about that. Yeah, just that's now. another story. But but for instance, like I did cross country in high school. I was a sprinter in school. It wasn't like I was always just outside of. We're actually quite similar. I did cross country in primary yeah. school. Yeah, well, cross country is a little bit different for me, but I could always do the one hundred and 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 so I. But I'd always be like sixth in the gray or the the age group. So just always on the precipice, the outside. So I was like, let me try this cross-country shit. It's not my style, but let me do it. Um, eventually, I got to like running a 40-minute 8K, right? Which, Ooh, five minutes a K, nice. Yeah, but... Which, uh, across terrain and when you're young, is very good. Yeah, but remember, when I was running competitively, I was the last runner. So in my world, I'm doing great. But if I compare myself to other people, then I'm really shit, right? But I was never competing against them. It was never about them. But you was just per- that's the cool thing about running though is it's a personal best. Yeah, but I'm but what I'm saying is that like those philosophies can exist outside of just like fucking sport. Like I think I think that's the one thing I I did enjoy about sport and like is pushing yourself to the next level. And they're conscious decisions you, you can make. Everyone physically has certain limitations, of course, sure. but sometimes mentally you decide what that limitation is. And so if you go, I'm going to fucking run a marathon in, in 12 months. People do this shit all the time. I mean, that's not hard. Well, A year for marathons, like you just stick to the plan. You got okay, it. Okay, so say I'm going to ride a one man every year. There you go. It's fucking, you just got to stick to the plan and do it. <laughs> so the shit's not that difficult. And But I, I've always kind of tried to do shit for myself, but it's hard because there's a lot of things happening and... You can't get distracted. It's just important to go like, what What the fuck? Why are you doing this? Like, I think we don't ask ourselves that. In terms that. of external things, like all... Just like, whatever we're doing in life, like, why are we... Why did I start doing stand-up? So why did you start doing stand-up since you brought it up? I mean, it was like uh, some, some cats I went to school just made a bet with me. It was three of us. And they were like... And it was a weird bet because there was no money. There was nothing. It was just like a, you know... I don't know what it was, but it was like, hey, I bet, I bet us to do stand-up, whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> And so I called the underground and I was like, hey, can I get a spot here? And they said, cool, we'll chuck you on whenever. At the time, there was a lady there, her name was Alicia Whitworth. Okay. And uh, she was like, yo, come play. So I do a spot and it's like, it's not bad, it's not great, but it's it like, it's, I'm not the worst on the night for a guy who's never played, <laughs> right? And so Alicia calls me like a week later. She's like, hey, we'd like to have you back here if you're keen to come jam. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, of course I'd love to. But the experience was really addictive. Like it was exhilarating to be on stage and have like a hundred people in this low ceiling room. Yeah, the underground was nice. It was fucking amazing. Just it's like still p- one of my favorite rooms because yeah. it's just seats and a stage. Yeah, it was fucking amazing. It was one of the first places I kind of watched live local stand up. It's where I started my stand up career. It has a lot of great memories where I met Lloyd Cole and John Fliss and Robbie and um it was my local room, man, and, it, and it, it felt like home when I played there. It was like I had met every version of the people who were sitting in the audience. Okay. I was like, they, and that happens to me a lot with stand-up. Whenever I walk out somewhere, I'm like, oh, I've seen a version of you. <laughs> like, I rarely get nervous because I'm like, I know. I've met a, a Nicole like you. 
somewhere, you know. Um, so it's like, yeah, I can do this shit. What? What the fuck are we talking about? Who cares? Uh, we're going to get into your hosting skills because mm. you, to me, are maybe the best host, like, in terms of, like, regularly doing this thing. Like, as, yeah, like, so. in comedy, like, I honestly, I, I rate you fucking highly because you're adaptable in different rooms as well. Like, some comedians are good at, I mean, I, I haven't done, seen you do corporates, yeah. but I assume you're pretty good at them, judging no, by how you fuck do Fuck shit up at them corporates. No, I'm not. That's the thing. <laughs> I, do okay, right. I do good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do good. But I see, um, yeah, like, I see with the way you host other gigs and that, so, you mm. know, from the box to kitcheners, which sure. are two very different rooms. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of other people get caught up in the corporate comedy and then they bring that into other rooms yeah. and they like struggle with it. And I've seen you just every time you like I've never really seen. Well, I mean, I haven't seen you that much, sure. but I've never seen you die stand, like doing hosting. Yeah. And it's the one job in this country that people die a lot at and it's horrible. Yes. So how did you get so good? Um. So, again, this I, a lot the the ability to host is from being able to rap right okay because when you rap first of all you're you are you're making shit up right but it also has to be coherent it has to rhyme and it has to be on the beat right yeah <laughs> like so by the time i'm getting to hosting where i'm like oh i don't have to rhyme and i don't need to be on a beat i'm like yo this is piss bro like i can just make shit up so was it always easy for you wasn't always easy my first set of hosting was at wish in melville and my first link was hot fire uh the next eight uh were garbage um it was bad like i really bombed that night uh, like uh, to the point where people weren't making eye contact with me and <laughs> what comedians or the crowd comedians oh everyone oh. everyone just whoever was there patrons oh, i think we've all been there as staff. comedians yeah, yeah. Where you um, just want to go home you're like, yeah it, it felt like the people but were you got to get back on stage and introduce the next act yeah I'm, I'm bombing for three links and i got four more to go you know and uh what's funny is i'm still not the worst host to ever play which anyway that's for another day uh but anyway <laughs> i'm eating shit and um i just went like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna that's not gonna happen to me again <laughs> like just made a decision but but improv improvising I think we all have the ability. I just had to hone it over time from doing stand-up. And I think I've always been quick off the cuff with like people saying shit and making jokes. And then over time, you learn certain tricks. Like, like I never pointed audience members. I always ask them a question with an open underhand. Okay. It's more inviting. There's small things about body language a lot of people don't know. Is this from your reading? Reading and talking to people who like, you know... It's like if you, someone said like Barack Obama always has his hand clenched in a fist, but his thumbs on top of his finger. index finger. Yeah. It's like a very neutral, but yet powerful thing at the same time. You learn how to ask neutral questions. You learn how to like, oh, the one thing, this is someone maybe I don't give enough credit for this, but John, John Flissmus, I watched a lot at the underground. He was really quick, sharp. Mm. One of the things John said was that if you're going to make fun of people, make fun of everyone. So that's also been a big rule I've had. I'm like, if you watch me host a gig, I'm going to chop everyone down. The reason for that is that nobody feels isolated. They don't feel like they're being picked on and bullied. So then it feels like, so by the time I get to someone, the whole crowd's like, yeah, well, he said that shit to me too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're active participants. I'm actually pitting them against each other. Whereas, like, that doesn't happen all the time in comedy. Like, sometimes people pick on certain, like, parts of the audience. Yeah. Like, yeah. The other thing John told me or someone else told me, 
I'll give it to John. You can have this one, Fliss. Um, He's not going to listen to us, yeah, don't worry. okay. I forgive him. No, but, <laughs> but someone always said that you never make fun of someone's like actual physical features. Yes. So I believe in that so much. Yeah. So I'll, I'll always make... If you got, if except you wake, for hair. Except for hair. <laughs> hair, I'm kind of... I'd leave. But if you're wearing like a bullshit cap or some dickhead Ed Hardy jersey, like you're going to get it, bro. Like... Uh, if you're, if you made a conscious choice to look like that. Yeah, man. If you're wearing a collar shirt, but the button stop at your fucking midriff, like my man's, I'm going to tell you. We're going like, to talk about that. You know what I mean? So there was just le- certain tricks I learned over time. I learned to, to listen also. And I had to also make a decision to go that the show's not about me. As a host, that's very important. Yeah. A lot of hosts don't do that. And like... I even like when our hosts sometimes get into that thing of like, oh, I want to do it a little longer. Yeah, you guys are lacking me. Maybe I should carry on. But then I'm actually like, bro, let your ego go. Like you, yeah. you got the big laughs. It's cool. Bring on the next person. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's tricky, man. It is fun, and that, maybe that's sometimes the thing that frustrates that had frustrated me for a while because I hosted a lot. So it was like, and not to sound like a, like a fucking martyr or anything, but it was. It did feel like sometimes I was busting my ass, and people just thought. Like it was all them, like when they oh, walked on. Yeah, you've you've warmed everything up. You've got the crowd ready. Yeah, and man. And it's nice and toasty for them. Yeah. And they get on and kill, and then they think like. Yeah, man. I ate shit. I was fucking on while people were eating burgers, bro. <laughs> like, like, getting in their first orders, and I'm not saying it's all me, but like I, you, and I know that is one of the aspects of hosting as well is that you do have to do that. You do have to like eat the shit like yeah. of the audience and like get them on board, but you're not. The focus. Yeah. And I've also been like, I've had to learn also over time to never give up an audience. If they don't like me up top, but they like the acts, then that's fine. That's because it's, so it's about the show, man. And I think I'm, I'm always going to revert back to sport. It's very simple. It's like if, if you're doing an ensemble show with five acts, it's like, a, it's like a fucking basketball team, dog. Just play your position. Yeah. If you're the point guard, then dish the ball. You know, that's what the MC kind of is, like the, the QB, the, the point guard. It's like he's creating opportunities for other people to hit their shots and, and making, you know, and, and trying to give you the best shot possible. So if the audience, to, to again speak on sports, if the audience double teams me, but I throw you an open pass and you hit the three, then that's what's important. We won. Yeah. We won. Like... Oh, but not every comedian sees it that way at all. Like most people, I think, you know, go to a show to just get on stage and tell their jokes and hopefully for them it's they're the best act of the night and everyone loves them in particular. Like, Well, you know, I mean, it's also tricky because it's not their fault, you know, like stand-ups is like a show up and leave economy. Yeah. You arrive at your gig, you do your 15 minutes and you bounce. You're like, you don't have to do anything else. It's like, of course, after a while, that's how you're going to see the thing. Like, most cats are not having to go there and, and plug in a mixer before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, or like go, oh shit, this is an XLR. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think most comedians know what an XLR is. You know, you know what I mean? Like, or like, you know, the value of an SM58. It's like, you know, and so so I'm not, it's hard, man. I'm, what I'm trying to do now is let go of a lot of the perceptions I had about stand-up, about the world in general, like the community of it and how the acts are supposed to be and maybe how I think they're supposed to behave because I'm also like getting older and so like I think a lot of my the shit I'm, I'm saying now is like becoming tainted by my age. But also are you criticizing an earlier year? 
No, I don't know. It's like the uh, space for critique, but I just think like as, as you get older, your voice, your voice just feels different. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, I came up in an era where like me and my contemporaries shout on each other, gave each other guidance, gave each other love, chopped up notes. But we're not those young kids anymore. We're not quite the first gen, but we're in this weird transition phase. But I'm really like, I kind of don't want to talk anymore to people about stand-up because I do think like my, there's like a weird seniority that I kind of have and that of course that people are giving me. And like, I think that's making shit weird, man. It's like, it's really making shit weird. Well, like people have reverence for you and are actually listening to what you have to say now. I think they were for a long time, but now it's becoming like, oh, he's like, ooh, what's... what's he's just that old guy t- talking shit. And I could be wrong, but that's just how I'm feeling. And so I I'm, I'm trying to like distance myself from... Because I love having chats about stand-up. And I, but I think a lot Every of stuff... Every comedian does. But I think a lot of stuff actually that I chat to comics about is not actually stand-up. It's like philosophies about life. Like, I've had chats with guys about like getting their money right. Like... That's becoming the big conversation at the moment. Like, well, not even that. Also, like, like because well, but it's because for me, like, I mean, personally, it's a conversation yeah. I'm more and more in, and sure. like, it's because for so long we do this thing for the love, you know, yeah. like, and you're you're getting your hundred, two hundred bucks, and you're like, why is this not going up? And yeah. So, well, I mean, I think you know the the guys before us. I mean, I love Loic Gollet a bit. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And not just like his stand up's fucking great, but I've I've spent lots of great times with him and like we chat, we chat, we chat, and a lot of our chats aren't he, even about yeah. Stand-up. He's all about that like philosophical life. I've only hung with him once or twice, but yeah. fantastic conversations. So when we break bread, we're not like just talking about like the social political landscape of South Africa. Sometimes I will say to cats like, "Yo, do this with your money. Like, just protect yourself in this regard, or like put some money away here, yeah. or I'll go for your mental health, like." Don't don't be caught up with what other people are doing. Like for instance, I don't watch a lot of Insta stories. I don't watch other comedians' Insta stories. As my friends, because I want to know what they're doing. But. Yeah, but in general, in general, and I think that's like to safeguard my mental health. Like I fucking. Do you compare yourself to other people as much as you don't want to? I think it's just inherent, man. Like you, you dude. Like the, you're seeing everyone's life. Yeah, but like seeing someone's life doesn't mean you want their life. Not like, necessarily, but it, it, it's going to eventually like. You know, the shit, the, the stuff is as intrusive as you allow it to be. Of course. I mean, that's why, like I say, like I've muted most comedian stories because especially from Durban, like it sucks to like see like everyone like living, you know, the comedy laugh because we don't live it in Durban. We've got very few gigs and like it's not the same thing. So I definitely can like look at what's happening up here and get frustrated that it's not happening for me. And so well, I've learned to just rather not focus on what anyone else is doing up here. So, so okay, l- let me say this, rather. I, I, I didn't watch a lot of kind of people's, not stand-ups, just people's things in general. Um, and, and, then, and then now I'm like consuming a little bit more, but I'm also trying to like, you know what I used to do that I'm sad I don't do as much? I used to just text people and tell them like they're doing well. Like, just like, just let them know that I see them. I don't know if that means anything. And to some people, that, that may not mean shit. But I do know that there may be a handful of people that... Dude, it's so valuable to have people do that like, yeah. for you as well. So now I'm trying to get back to that where I'm like, hey, man, if someone's doing... A, some, someone like, I won't say the name, but just sold out a show in Cape Town. I was like, yo, I got to let them know, like, big up because I know why they, they, 
they they moved back to Cape Town. That's between me and them. I know their reasons, but but it 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 made me happy to see that the shit's working out. Like they made the right decision, and like to be to be honest about all of this shit, regardless of how this all goes down, I think I think the thing I'd like to let everybody know is that we want we want everyone to win. I know it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I don't know if I want everyone to win, but I want most people to win. Yeah, okay, not everybody. But some, I feel you. some of y'all are trash. Hello, yeah, you. Um, no, I'm like, I'm fucking around, but I'm saying like, for the most part, we don't tell each other enough that enough. Like, we don't yeah, tell each other man. we're on each other's sides enough. Like, yeah, people don't tell each other how often enough. And I'm, and remember, I'm not like one of those like happy clappy motherfuckers. You know, like I'm not. I don't think I have a, a negative or a happy predispos- predisposition. I'm in the middle. Yeah, you seem like a realist. Yeah, but I have to constantly push myself to try to be more, like, not positive, but just to see people. Just to go, yo, dude, those videos you're putting up, they dope, man. Yo, that thing you shot, that's dope. Yo, that set you did. Yo, I remember when I saw you two years ago. Yo, look at you. Like, like... Just give the people like positive reinforcement. You know, it's something like even I learned again. I'm gonna keep using soccer because I'm I'm hectic at soccer, and so I expect a lot from people. So often I would shit on them because I expected more from them. So my frustration wasn't that they weren't doing well; it was that I felt like they weren't performing within the scope of their abilities. And so now, like when I play soccer, somebody fucks up. My new thing is like, hey, unlucky, bro. Get them on the next one. Two cats will be arguing on the field. And normally I would add fuel to the fire, but now I'm like, yo, we'll get them on the next possession. If someone shits on me, I'm like, okay, cool. What did I do? All right, cool. We'll attempt to fix it on the next run. It's really hard to like to be aware of 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 like the language we use with people. Yeah. And and so I'm and that's why like I'm trying to shit, I don't know how to phrase it, but like trying to reset because this has been a, an intense year for me where I've, been, I've spoke passionately about a lot of stuff. But I think sometimes when you're like getting a bit shouty, the point you're trying to make is like not heard, bro. We're okay. just hearing the rah-rah. We're just like, fuck me, this dude's intense. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm recalibrating, dude, and, and telling people, yo, keep doing your thing. Your shit is dope. I, I think I tweeted you. I was like, yo, I like the thing. I know I was late to listen <laughs> to the podcast. Dude, like, so my thing with this podcast yeah. is I know people are only going to start listening to it in like another year's time. It's, sure. a, slow, it's a slow build up yes, of yes. like, I know that. Like, I know yeah. I don't have an audience yet necessarily. I've got an audience yes. that I've always had, like, and that's built over the years with my writing and comedy and that. Yeah. But I never, and also, yeah, like, I never expect, like, other comedians to listen to this or anything like that. Yeah. For me, this is a thing for me that I know will eventually kick off with other people. And I'm looking forward to people going back and listening to these conversations because I find them very valuable. And I think the people I've chatted to are important in South African, in, like, entertainment and yeah. maybe people don't know these stories about them so sure i mean also you know like like jay-z says um on the blueprint it's just what i was feeling at the time so it <laughs> was listening like there's also that context it's like you caught me at a, 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 a interesting like, time yeah, yeah yeah i think i think but a, go, a good one for me and because um, you've had to think about stuff and like yeah just just reassess like um like the energies i put out because i think it's like you know when you know when you're a kid and you just watch your parents do shit, and sometimes they're not aware like the impact that it has on you. 
Yeah. Like, like maybe they talk to you in a certain way, or, or you, or you, or you're like, you know, like kids will be trying to show their parents like a, a thing they fucking drink school, and they dismiss it of it, or they love it, and that has a big effect. Yeah, like, and your mom's like, "Yo, man, I'm cooking, dog," <laughs> which is weird because she's still doing something that's trying Important, to help. Yeah. yeah, but your thing is like my drawing. I went to the validation, You're right? And, and so I'm like, I'm trying to be very careful about like what i say to people how i say things to people and because i'm not trying to fuck with their energies you know what i mean because i want people fucking with mine i'm tired like this is it. like i'm fin- i'm, f- I'm on a nap for a while after 2019 there's a few people who are whose energies i always want to fuck with but yeah uh, th- that's just me <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's, it's to each their own it's kind of mm. that kind of thing but I wanted to ask, how did you get into TV stuff? Because you were hosting on MTV. I don't know if you still are, but like I remember, yep. I remember just turning on TV, like because I don't have one. But like, sure. when I'm at my mom's house. She's got DSTV, and like I saw you then. I was like, that's fucking Mojo. Yeah. 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 Um, my introduction to television was uh, late night news with Loi Sokola. Oh, snap! Okay. Yeah, that was uh, late 2010. I met Loi at Cool Runnings in Melville. I think. I mean, I first my first interaction with Loi was interesting. I, I get him now, like why it went like that. I think, I think a lot of people like just say bullshit things to lawyer. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't envy him, like because yeah. of who he is in South African comedy, yeah. like the amount of conversations that he must. Well, I think these days he's less a part of them because yeah. he loves his own life. But I can imagine a lot of people have come up to him and said some dumb shit. Yeah, I think a lot of people say really vapid things to Loi Kola. They just walk up to him and say dumb shit and then expect him to advance the conversation. So people would just walk up to Loi and be like, Matt, bro, you tall. <laughs> and then not say anything. But linger. Like, like mid, we were mid-conversation and Arando's like, have you always been this long, dog? And um, and what and like another comedian or like just no, not like, comedian, uh, just people. I think. So anyway, I meet Lloyd, yeah. and it's like um, I don't, I don't think he's cold. I just think he's like he's going through whatever he's going through. Anyway, we we kind of chat a little bit, and um, he tells me he's playing five aside. I'm like, yo, I want to roll through. So we we end up playing soccer in the south with him and some of his mates from way back. And so in the car, I say to Lloyd. Actually, even before that, I texted Lloyd, going, yo, man. LNN is going up against the UEFA Champions League. That's fucking crazy. You're going up against what I think is like the biggest sporting tournament outside of the biggest soccer tournament outside of the World Cup. Um, you know, so we chatted a little bit. I was really enjoying the Colbert Report and the Daily Show. Anyway, move fast forward a while. I say to him, "Can I come through to the show?" I go to I go to a brainstorm. This is when they were. Bro, how did you have the balls to do that? To what? ask can i come through to the show we'd already had a sort of relationship okay. like you know like we, we weren't like super tight but we'd be chatting and i kind of was getting and to you know knew, him you knew he dug, dug you like enough yeah yeah and even then I, I i didn't say can i write on your this show just to be clear like i never i never asked him for a gig i just wanted to be in the space like for me that was a big thing like i always wanted to be my pop always says like when he plays golf he always plays with people better than him Sure. Because they make him play harder. They make him step his fucking game up, which is the thing I've always encouraged other people to do. Don't don't be the best in the room. You're wasting your time. Amen. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I I I eventually go to the offices and it's it's Kachis It's Riyad Musa at the time. Conrad Koch is there. Of course, Loic Kola is the host. There's a guy called Lionel. There's Nim. 
there's Lindsay Tutel, who's an Ivy League graduate in like journalism. It's like this really like super smart room, you know. Tamsin Anderson's there. Karabo Lidich, I think, was also there. Simon Gumenio. I'm, I just want to say people's names so it doesn't feel like I'm leaving them out. <laughs> Mpeng, probably Once again, there. they're all going to listen to this in like five years' time. So it's fine. Stress. But I've covered my bases. No one can ever say <laughs> I didn't give them their dues. But anyway, I sit in the room, man. I'm like super intimidated. You know, these are fucking comedians that I watched either in Pure Monati. Yeah, PMS watched, was. Yeah, oh. yeah, I watched Call Off a President. I watched, um, what was that weird DVD with John and them? Oh, the Outrageous. One, okay, yeah. yeah that, that was the one where some shit talking went down. Yeah, it's hectic. So I, I watched all these guys and I sat in the room and fuck. I'm like, yo, I want to say something. But I'm like, yo, I don't know people like that. You know, I'm from, I don't think I'm old fashioned, but I think I'm like, I'm one of those like speak when you're spoken to kind of people. Unless, you, unless you're saying some really wild shit that I got to check you on. I'll, I'll let you finish, you know. So, so I chill in the brainstorm. I leave it. Then a week or two passes, and I say, "Hey, man! Like, I was at the show. I was in the brainstorm. I'm gonna be honest, man. I was really intimidated. I wanted to say some shit, and you know, I didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't want to overstep my bounds. And I was like, "Yo, man, come through. Like, just if you got an idea, just pitch it." And so the first thing I ever wrote. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, <laughs> the first sketch I ever wrote, I pitched an idea, which, which is weird because it's still relevant now, but it was basically a, a profile of Bladen's in mind. Of where we go, the the basically the the profile is like, what has Bladen Zamani ever done? Fuck all, and then like cut to <laughs> the rest of the show. <laughs> like, <laughs> still relevant. Yeah, and uh, I got mad issues to play, but that's for another day. Like I saw him on a flight once, and uh, I was gonna yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so so and so we just start, and at the time, you know. Myself and Camilo Saluji, who's now one of the, kind of the head writers in Deprente, was a runner at the time. You know, we were like, I won't say the skivvies, but like Milo's job was literally just kind of running around and doing shit. And I knew him from Vitz. He was kind of, I think he might have just finished his master's in like satire or PhD. So oh, wow. Yeah, so Milo and I, like, we were like the two first young writers of that group. And it was fucking fun, man. Like, those were some of the greatest times Lloyd Robbie came through. Uh, I mean, Lazola and Robbie joined later. And then, of course, the team evolved over time. But that was my introduction to that. At the time at LNN, we, were, we had also... Chris Forrest had been in chats with um, Mzanzi Magic. They were trying to bring out Laugh Out Loud, which is originally, oh, yeah. I think, uh, maybe Darren Simpson and like Jeremy Mansfield. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Basically, Mzanzi was you know, kind of also in a transition phase where they were trying to make this show but have like a black cast. Kenneth Nkosi and Rapulana had become the executive producers. They were really trying to shift the direction, kind of give audiences more black voices and what, you know. Anyway, Chris calls us and we were doing this thing called Awadzali. We were the improv players. So we learned theater sports. It was myself, Robbie Collins, Mpopops, and Rishlu. Uh, Chris was kind of like the host uh, of the thing. And and so I was in these two weird phases where I was going back between LNN and uh, LOL. And like that was interesting in its own right because it worked really differently. Commercials started coming through, which was like fun. But, but what do you mean commercials started coming through? Did you offered them or you went to auditions? So we would, we would, a lot of the stuff I've done, fortunately, is like people asking for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes the casting directors will lie and say, yo, the client asked for you and you. You get there and your, your sticker says 123. <laughs> so you're like, how the fuck did you ask? 
123 people. Yeah, so you asked, yeah, it's like you asked 100, another 122 people personally, fuck you, man, don't, don't gas me. Or, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but sometimes they'll bring you in and it's a sneaky move. To oh, just to? To figure out like what the performance direction should be. Oh, wow. And I thought that would be to like put you up against someone else who they would actually want and like to like cut the fees and stuff like that. Oh, that's happened too. I've had that. I had a, I had a crazy story in 2012 where it was like me and Popos were the last two for a commercial and it was tricky because everything was going through one person, but that one person represented him at the time. <laughs> And so I was just like, oh, man, I'm so fucked. Yeah, but anyway, that's, 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 a, that's a messy story that I'm not going to tell. That's, it's like, that's when I was like, oh, this shit is... The three of you know what happened there. That's fine. Few of us know what happened. That shit was mad greasy. And I was like, oh, okay, that's how you guys do it out here in stand-up. That's when I was like, yo, this shit is not all fun and games. There's a, there's a darkness to... I don't think just stand-up entertainment and business in general. It's Can't be like, ruthless. Yeah, it's, like, it's just like motherfuckers will undercut you. But we've moved beyond that. Uh, and it wasn't, it was never about Pops. It was the other people who were handling the shit. He's a good friend of mine. But um, so commercials, Yellow Pages was a big one I did early in my career. I did a massive Coca-Cola uh, worldwide thing in 2012. I was like Shakes Palms where I, was, I didn't just do stand-up. I didn't just do the commercials. I was doing activations at malls, you know, as like this character. It's like, they were cool because they were always supplemented what I was doing and so that's why I still do commercials now. I'm like, yeah, if someone's going to... Pay bills. Yeah, not even pay bills. It's like, it's disposable income. Like, the money for me to get to do what I really want to do. Like, that's why I can I can put on a show that maybe doesn't do the numbers I would like and still spend the PR money and still do all this shit because I put some loot away that I'm not relying on this shit. And so, like, the, when I started, Darren Moore said to me, you can't be funny when you're hungry, which I thought was an interesting idea i disagree with it but sure i mean for me it made sense because like you're worried about those things and stuff like that but some people are funny because they're hungry like they start out like like they have this absolute need like they their careers go further in comedy because it's an absolute necessity to them to survive yeah like they have to make this thing work or else they don't eat sure and so that makes them like work harder and struggle like and get there quicker whereas like i feel like if you're supplementing your income sometimes yeah. like i've done like with my career a lot mm. that you don't necessarily put as much effort into the stand-up or you don't focus on it as much as you should because it's not the only thing you're doing i can accept that i i, I mean i can accept both sides of what you're yeah. saying and what darren's saying i think what darren was saying is that some with some acts there was like a level of desperation that we could all feel when they were on yeah. stage where it was like this person needed this money like for more than what everyone else kind of did. And I've been through that phase. I remember when I, I got, I got they, re, they let go of me at this company I was working at. And then I, I was like, oh, I'll be a stand-up full-time. And like, you know, the phone didn't fucking ring for like months. I was like, hey. you know, you're like our cell phone towers down all over <laughs> South Africa. It's like, I just hadn't, I just hadn't gone to that point in my career. But, um, fuck, what was I talking about before this? We were talking about Darren Moles telling you... Yeah, it can't be funny when you're hungry. There was something else before yep. that. Um, but, yeah, it's just like... <sighs> shit, I forgot. My mind's melting. But we were talking now. about uh, the money thing. Yeah, like having other things to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, how distracting it is. Yeah, I definitely think that's a real thing. I think I think it's tough for some people to compartmentalize and be like, this is, this is, my, this is my acting season. This is my stand-up season. 
But uh, you can do that though, because like I know some comedians like just like have to be on stage constantly. Yeah, I mean, I I stopped wanting to do that a while ago. Um, you see, because my process is like this. By the time I'm saying something on stage, I've thought about it and ran it through my head 15 times. I kind of know exactly where it should go. Like, And you're comfortable enough with who you are on stage now? And like, yeah, and not to be weird, but like, I know where the laughs should be. Like, as soon as I write a bit, I'm like, oh, that's ex- that's exactly where the joke is. Like, I don't have to... Um, like we just did this run of Skulk show and everyone's in pajamas and I'm like man I didn't grow up in pajamas we just, like we just fucking slept in old ANC t-shirts you know like <laughs> you know they say you are what you sleep like I thought of it on the night and I was like this is gonna work I didn't I didn't doubt it for one fucking moment so I without you know f- sounding obnoxious I know how to do stand up I know the act of stand-up. I know its mechanisms. I know how to... So y- you don't have to be doing it constantly to be good at it. Yeah, I, I need to do it constantly to, 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 to... When I'm doing a narrative show, that's an hour. That I need, that so I need to do... Okay. Yeah, there I need a three to five day run, ideally for me, because I polish over time through repetition. Yeah. But in terms of writing stand-up, I think I write... I think I write a lot more than people think I do. And I think they also don't, ev- don't get to see the... They don't get to see the different versions of like the stand-up I do. And that's partially my fault because a lot of shows I do are like fan service. As in like I'm playing, I'm giving them, I'm giving the audience the bits I know they can easily consume. Sure, but yeah, we all fall into that trap. Well, uh, well so I'll do them at certain rooms. Then when I do my show, the people don't see that. Don't see the other version of what I do. Okay, like your club version versus what? What the shit that it piques my interest the the first time rewriting history. So that's like that. That's the thing that frustrates me is like, do I do I should I start bringing this version of me into the other world? But then, but then just, everyone must just be aware that when I MC next time, you might come on cold as fuck <laughs> when I do a fifteen minute set about gender. Oh, is it gonna hate you? Which is maybe that's what I need to do actually. I think, well, I mean, you say you like to throw yourself into uncomfortable situations. Yes. It might be worthwhile doing that, bringing the stuff you really care about into hosting because hosting isn't necessarily where you get to, you know, tell people what you really care about. Yeah. Well, that's why I started asking people to do spots and be like, yo, man, I can't. I do. I, I really, this year oh, was... Oh, yeah. I was going to ask. Like, yeah. So you're known as a host, yeah. but like, do you get to do spots that often? I do, I do do spots and... um. But But... MCing has really made my comedy disjointed. Like I'm still like just to be clear, like, like I I'm so I'm so used to so asking the crowd questions and being personal and having a bit for them. Like if there's anything, there's very few times a piece of information baffles me in an audience. Okay. There's, there's very few jobs people tell me, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what's that. And I'm like, I've heard it all. You're oncologist, okay? The doctor of care. Like we did a show. Recently, where there was a group of doctors, you know, and I said to them, "What are you all going to specialize in?" And the one guy said, "I want to be a doctor of kids." And I said, "Bro, believe in yourself. Say, <laughs> say pediatrician. Yeah. Like, not, there's few things that." But I get why someone wouldn't want to be a pedo. It was, yeah, okay. That's where it's from. That's that. That is. That's the etymology of the word pedo of children. Um, for those of you who don't know, you see, like Ooh, uh, etymology. Uh, yeah, like the the origins of the word. So yeah. anyway, the point is that like. I can f- I've been able it's like even my one man's I told someone this year like 
There's no set list when I do a one man sometimes. It's like the show ends when my watch beeps. Seriously? Yeah. How? I just walk on and I go, these are bits. What order they're in, we'll figure it out. Like, we'll... T- and then I go, oh, it's been an hour. Thank you guys for coming through. Good night. Wow. That's I, like... Like, yeah. I mean, maybe one day I'll do that. But for me, it's like, here's the narrative. Here's everything. Like, everything leads into stuff. This goes here. This goes there. Like... But you, and, but you see, again, like, that's because... It's a different shows. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about this shit because, like, you don't want to sound, like, mad, like... Bro, I can fucking do... No, but but like, you can, like, and that's fair. So, early, I think early in my career, I learned how to crowbar ideas together. And that's why yeah, when you I... You mentioned st- that earlier. Yeah, that's why I was talking about soft directing a lot of acts. I can watch I can watch a comedian and tell them exactly what order to put all of their jokes in. So, you feel it comes naturally to you now when you're on stage? Like, even with an hour, you've got, like, an hour and a half material in your head and you're just going to work it for that night with what happens there and what feels natural. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't go well. Sometimes it is disjointed. It's hard to watch. Sometimes it's like, I wish I had a clear idea. I do invent, I do envy people who who do have structure, but I, I can find structure for other acts like really well. Like I can I can see their ideas that may be in like four different places and be, and be like, just yeah, put this link. shit here, right? Pull that line, do that, do that, do that. And I think they'll be, for the most part, they'll be better for it because I, I, I'm not emotionally invested in the bits. I'm, I'm like, what is this like to experience as a consumer? And I'm okay. no comedy. I'm like, that. don't put that line in. You're making it weird for everyone. <laughs> but sometimes making it weird for everyone's like fun. Yeah, but you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're being a dickhead for the sake of being a dickhead. It's incongruent in how we perceive you and who you are as an individual. Oh, okay, I get you there. Like, there's, like... I love Madinga, and Madinga knows this. Like, some... There's... It's it's weird with Madinga. He's so... He's great at stand-up, first and foremost. Yeah. But sometimes when he uses, like... When he curses, you can it's, feel the audience go, that's not our guy. Yeah, I, I I imagine that. Which I think I think is unfair and, to and him. And I think in, in the podcast we did, he didn't swear that much at all. Like he'd use different words and stuff because like yes. he might be more aware now of how. Yeah, know. which I think is really unfair to him. But like sometimes you have to have a, a sense of self awareness. I know there's bits I can get away with, because because I know when to smile. Sure. Like I know when to, I know when to pause. I know when to tell you you're being a moron. I know when to tell you I'm being a moron. I know when to tell you it's okay to believe in this idea. And so it's like that kind of shit that you just learn over time. And yeah, it's, it's like, it's all very interesting. Like the, this whole fucking journey and like what, what it means. Would you, do you feel like you're South African famous? I don't know. I don't, I think, I think enough. Like, do people know you when think, you walk the streets? Uh, here and there. It's like, uh, but, I th- um, Years ago, I don't know where I was. It was like at a, at a Blacks Only and Kibuko was there. And I was kind of like ego tripping, you know. Like <laughs> Someone asked me to take a photo and I, I said something like really fucked up. Like, oh, this, like, like this is the most phot- famous photographer you could have asked or something. <laughs> and Kibuko was like, yo, don't do that, bro. What are you doing? And I was like, what? And I was shook at the time. I was like, because I was being facetious, but he was right. He was like, don't talk like that. Like, don't be... Don't be a noxious dickhead who thinks like, like you're more like you're self-important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, I, I always like walk around 
assuming nobody knows me. Of course, there's certain places where I'm like, of course they know me. I go to, I, I come here every week. Like <laughs> that's different yeah, yeah. though, yeah. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? But like, it's just like yeah, with the TV stuff, especially like you know, you're in people's like rooms every week. Then like you know, they watch you on TV. So I can imagine that's got more of an effect than comedy to a, like a degree. Well, I was. I mean, with MTV for a little bit, but even yeah. that was like relative. I think like you know, it was like five minutes a day. It was really weird. It wasn't quite like I, I appreciate like the first part of that journey. Sure. The people who brought me in were like, they were basically all female directors that worked at Viacom at the time. It was Amy and Trinipo. And like, the big reason I went to Viacom was because of them. It was like, they were trying to do something different. They created a pilot for the show, which now is is like the, the day-to-day show that MTV does called Newsish. And we were like... Yeah, it's a bit of a listicle thing yeah, of the day. And we were in, they were in development with it. I was always a guy... I hosted the first version of it where we'd have like a round table with Tumi, it was Togi T and we'd have Dr. Malinga and like, unfortunately the show didn't track as well as people would have liked. I don't think. Really? Yeah, I think. It seemed dope when I watched it. It was fine. It was cool. We did like 32 episodes, you know, which is fine. I, I, I enjoyed that experience. It was interesting for me because I was the anchor of the show and had panelists who I really liked and really had great relationships with. And then... Because you love music and like, you know, you've been in the scene, you've worked with some people within the scene. Like yeah. And I like knowing people's stories. It's like why I do the podcast. Like for me, the biggest thing about all, everything that I do is like, is, is fundamentally understanding why. Why would you do that? Why did they do that? Why did... Why did you book that theater? Why did you take that sneaker deal? Why is this watch made? Like, the why is always more fascinating because I think it gives you a lot more perspective. Yeah. So we were doing the MTV show. The, the, the thing transitioned. It became like a five-minute listicle because that's the second iteration of what Newsish was. So new talent came in. That was great. I'm always on board for new talent. Um, but I think I think what happened at Channel and, and is that I think my voice, again, becoming the older guy. Okay. I think... That's so weird because you're only in your 30s now, right? 32, yeah, but that's old yeah. in some places, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, it's fucking dog's ears in some places. And so what would happen is I think I was trying to inject my politics into maybe a place where they weren't required. Okay. So like imagine you're doing a listicle about whatever and I'm like, oh man, that's like not progressive. We're judging someone because of her hair and shit. It's like, but that's the model. Yeah, and, and but that's what the people want. You got to give the people what they want. And so basically I was kind of <laughs> I don't know if I've told the story but I was basically told that um, the station was moving towards more music that was in essence what it was in that you know like they'll try to find somewhere to plug me in and which didn't happen but it's fine I, I think they 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 had their next generation too sure and I think it was interesting for me because I used to do that show like every morning I'd go to Hyde Park at 9 in the morning and it'd become part of my daily routine and then it'd be, it was this weird thing where I was trying to figure out how to do stand-up while I had to be somewhere else at 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Which is not congruent. Which is like, really weird. Like, But it, it, one of the coolest things is that I'd have shoots on Wednesday after doing Kitchener's at... So I, I come home at like 3 a.m. Yeah, in the morning. Yeah, that's shit. It's a moisturizer. Like toasted. Get up at 7.30. Go to, go to work. I'm a professional. I, you know, for everybody listening, I'm a professional. I don't behave like this anymore. But those are the days when I would do one takes. Those are the days. Also, at, at Newsish, we never had a teleprompter. So you had to memorize everything that came on. 
you, okay, that show definitely right. seemed like it had a teleprompter. We that's never wild. had it. We never had a teleprompter. So you'd get like because yeah, you're giving real information and it's like written. Like yeah, so like that's that's why I was so fired at the roast battle. Like, cause, cause the the turnover from the semifinal to the final was forty five minutes, so I had memorized a lot of the shit. Yeah. By the time, by the time cameras went, I could do shit like that all the time. I'd be like, they go, okay, the story's about that. That story's, hey, welcome, you just the news, never, never knew you knew today's story. Handed over to my co-host, boom, 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 and then this is like, I, I always anchored the shit because I was really, I'd learned how to get information really quickly. And then lock it down. And so that was also like one of the things I really appreciate about that experience. It was like there were no teleprompters. We did the one time we tried working with earpieces, which was cool. But sometimes they somehow they got canned. And and this whole experience, I know I'm, I'm just I'm digressing, but talk kind of speaks to tell us more, bro. <laughs> tune in on whatever platform. No, um, but also like speaks to how we make stuff in South Africa and that we're always doing shit with like limited resources. <laughs> so everybody's, so we've made it normal to have to pull rabbits out of hats. Yeah. And so when you want shit done, like with the actual stuff that's required, you sometimes seem like a fucking crazy person to go, no, let's bring in another camera. <laughs> you almost feel like, it almost feels like you're being like this excessive, Extra. like, yo, that guy's unnecessary, bro. He wants to do a sitcom with three cameras. Three cameras? That's never been done before. It's like, that's the fucking standard, bro. <laughs> like, that's been a lot of my, like, fights in the last 18 months of going. You want stuff to be on the proper level? Yeah, I want this shit. Yo, can we do this shit right? And everyone's just like, yep, yeah, that, guy's, that guy's fucking crazy. Did you hear what he asked for? He you asked for a script. You don't want to be duct taping shit <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah, who is this dickhead? Uh, he asked for like, and that's the thing you got to accept. I think South Africans, but shout out to you for making the most out of really garbage circumstances. <laughs> but so t that's TV. That's my journey. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm still making shit. I, I write in a lot of stuff. I've written for a lot of TV. Um, and what do you mean, like jokes or like scripts? Script, scripts. Like so we, so we got we got Bantu Hour, Safta Amman, Safta. Nominated, LNN, Emmy nominated, Comics Choice Award for writing. Um, boys written, like, you know, there's lots of great writers out there that people don't necessarily know of. So I just recently wrote, wrote a show called Black Tax that they'll be dropping on BET. Oh, snap. Soon. Um, I worked on, like, some advertising campaigns recently that I can't mention yet. I, like, worked on the the Flieg in the Springbokki for... I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, Hannes Brummer brought us in to oh, write on Hannes. that. Yeah, Hannes is great. So, but that that we were doing more narrative stuff and getting ideas. Okay. Well, um, yeah, because that's what I was thinking. Like, so, like, how much of your writing is like stories, and how much of it is actual pinpointed jokes and like? So a lot, a lot of what's been happening recently is like people bring me in. So here's what. Like, he, are you there for punch ups or? Yeah. So a lot of my work is like repeat work. So basically, what I try to do whenever I have a new opportunity is make sure like I'm, I. I I leave a really good impression. I'm, I try to make myself easy to work with. I try to be really good at what I do. I'm working on being punctual, um, but but luckily I've I've done well enough. Out of those. out of the three things, that's the one I'm probably the best. <laughs> being punctual, showing up on time, I've learned has been like just the easiest way to gain people's trust. Bob, you were late today. You are telling that people about that wasn't my fault. Yeah, of yes. course, yes, but just, and also why why are you telling people that? This no. is. 
I'm all about transparency. <laughs> but in general, yeah. I'm pretty punctual. So if I, you're paying me, I'll be there on top. Yeah. So so whenever I get a new opportunity, I try and knock it out the park and try, you know. Again, goes back to Amy Poehler. What's your currency? My currency is funny. So when I'm in a room, I'm going to show you I'm fucking funny. So I'll work on projects with people and they'll, they'll ring me back. And so I worked on the roast battle of uh, AKA. Um, it must have been quite fun. Uh, yeah. It, well, it's difficult, man. It's difficult. I worked on, I, I did punch-ups on the previous roast of Somizi. I came in a little bit later. But like people know, like, you know, I think I add some kind of value to the experience. Um, but yeah, it's like, just be good at the thing. Like I always say to people, particularly younger acts, be so good they can't ignore you. Uh, and it's not like about being better than anyone. It's just like, just add value in, in the room. We should never doubt why the person's there. No one should look across and be like, who, wh- who invited that guy? With anything you do in life, don't like don't make us question your place in the circle. <laughs> but do you never question your place in the circle? I'm sure I have. I'm sure I've had imposter syndrome for a long time. Where I was you're like, you're sure you have? Yeah, but I have. Let me say, I have. Okay. let me not be. But but you're not really suffering that much from it at the moment, because like talking to you now, like you seem to know where you're at. Yeah. Now it's. Um, I think it like that kind of thing will maybe creep in for like bigger things where I'm like, can I, <sighs> I don't know. It's like, it's, it's weird. Cause all like standups inherently like just fucking believe they're the shit. See, I'm like, that's the thing. I don't believe that. I think like there's a handful of standups that believe that they're the shit, but I think everyone else is just projecting. <laughs> no, I mean like for you to get up on stage and think people will laugh at your jokes. That people you've never met. There's an element of like... There's an element of confidence in that that like general public doesn't have, sure. But it's also, there's a need for the approval, which is why you do that almost. It's this weird balance of like, I'm the shit or am I the shit? I'm the shit? Am I the shit? Yes. Oh yeah, of course. It's like it's a back and forth process, but the... The, the the first step is going, I, I think I can do this. Yeah, and that's <laughs> th- that's the psychology that I think very few people can understand or yeah. get into. Like I think I think I like, can... Don't you get annoyed like everyone's like, I could never do what you do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some people, I think some people can... I, I encourage everybody to try stand-up once in your life. To, in your life to just, just feel it out, see what it's like. Because I've tried a lot of shit. I'm a person who likes to try stuff. I played field hockey once, a disaster. Mm, I used to. <laughs> Forgot I was wearing pads and turned, got hit in the thigh with a fucking hockey ball. Played <laughs> rugby, all kinds of shit. So try, just try. Like, there's no shame in failing. Um, I mean, doing doing something with finesse is hard. Yeah. Doing something is easy. Doing something with finesse is, that's what separates people. Is like, uh, is your ability and your capability to do something and how you make it look. A good act, a good act musician makes it look like they're playing that's what i always say that like i don't i, I don't like do gigs it's like where i always say to people where are you playing like it just the connotation makes it a little bit more fun of an experience we try not to think of this thing as work or grind i'm yo i'm not here to grind if anyone's listening don't grind you're wasting your time that's how you fuck up your knees don't grind like just work. <laughs> was that a skateboarding joke? Oh <laughs> what, just whatever it is. Don't grind. Just work. Just work. Work to become efficient at what you do. 
rest, sleep, fucking drink water, hang out with your friends, and enjoy your day-to-day experiences. That's a big thing for me. I like to tell people, like, like I just I live so that I can do what I want during the day. Amen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have to be anywhere after this. My next thingy is in, like, what time is it now? It's in three and a half hours, right? And th- And that's it. And then... My next thing, I mean, it is December, so things are being tied up. I'm like, okay, and then and then two shoots next week. I should still work in between, like write and shit. But like, like I want, I want the the thing I value now more than ever is my time, because I think I, I think a lot of it has been I've stolen it from myself over the last few years, and people have stolen it from us without them knowing, and we've allowed them to steal it from us. And so, to everybody listening, safeguard your time, and and I think you'll have a good time. Sweet. I think we can end things right there. So it's a fucking hectic way to end uh, the podcast. How's that a hectic way? I th- like, I like ending on a a moment, you yes. know, on a profound statement. So that was a profound statement. Thank you. And moisturize. And moisturize. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Drink water.